Welcome to the Indianola First Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our prayer is that this message will inspire you, encourage you, and launch you into life-changing action. Uh, Today, we are going to continue our talk on attitudes, all right? Over the last seven weeks, we've talked about many different attitudes in the Bible. Is this loud or... It feels like real loud, uh, Jory, if you don't mind, just to, I mean, I love hearing myself talk, but let's go ahead and just, <laughs> it's a joke. It was just a joke. I don't. All right. But over the last several weeks, we t- talked about many different people in the Bible, and we looked at what kind of attitudes that they carried with them. Some attitudes were good. Some attitudes were bad, but everybody demonstrated some sort of attitude. And as, uh, as I was getting prepared for this sermon, I started to think about when I was a kid, and it reminded me of um, one of my junior high uh, pastors uh, at my church. And he was actually one of my best friend's dads, too. So uh, I hung out a lot with this family and stuff like that. But he used to always say this when we were younger. He would always say, attitude is everything. I mean, it didn't matter what we were doing. It didn't matter if we had a good attitude, a bad attitude, if we were just sitting and watching a movie. It didn't matter. He's like, attitude is everything. We'd be playing basketball, and he would just pop out of the house, and attitude is everything. Uh, we would be sitting, and this was the greatest times. We'd be sitting around, and his son would pop off or have a bad attitude or whatever, and he would, like, hit him on the head. But every time he would hit him on the head, his ring would just bounce off the kid's head, and <laughs> he'd be like, pop, attitude is everything. And, of course, that would make him have a worse attitude. But we would all laugh at it. We'd get a good chuckle out of it because... He got hit. But, uh, uh, and he said it so much that we would just end up mocking him all the time. Like, when, we, when he wasn't around, we'd be like, yeah, attitude's everything, you know, and just kind of make fun of him always saying that. But as I got older and I matured a, a little, um, I realized something. I realized that, honestly, attitude is everything. Like, where it was a joke, it became more serious in my life. Um, and then listening to these sermons and reading along about all these people in the Bible, even, even thinking about myself, I just realized that we all have attitudes. We all carry attitudes with us. And either we are pointing people to Jesus with those attitudes, or we are pointing people away from Jesus with those attitudes. People remember other people by the attitude they carry along with them. I think right now you probably all are thinking of some people that you know that you might not even remember their name, but you remember the attitude that they had when you first met them. You might remember that they had good attitude or a bad attitude or they were uh, snobs or whatever kind of attitude. You don't, you don't even remember their name. You just remember they had a bad attitude or they had a great attitude. I love hanging out with those people. Don't know their name, but they had a good attitude, so whatever. Um, this morning, I would like to start off by talking about a dude with a dude that you know personally. Myself. Me. I'll give you two examples of an attitude that I carried with me. Uh, I would like to start this story, though. Uh, it, it was about two weeks ago, and we were at the sports page, and I was really hungry. Okay? Let, let me just... I wasn't hangry, but I was really hungry. Now, let me go ahead and, and paint this picture of how hungry I was with, uh, uh, for you today. That day... I ate breakfast in the morning, and then, uh, and then I went, at lunchtime, I went home, and instead of eating lunch, I decided to work out because I'm getting swole. You know, no, I'm not. I'm just kidding. I don't, I don't get swole. I don't, I don't even say I don't like saying that word. I'm going to no, never say that. Remind me. Never say that word again. All right. Uh, anyway, as I was staying, uh, just, just working out, okay? So I didn't eat. Then I went back to work 
finished my day, and then I went, I went home. And uh, on this particular day, we had basketball games. We had two basketball games. Both my daughters played basketball, so we had basketball games on this particular day. Um, and so while they were getting, and we didn't have time to eat dinner. So on this day, um, for some dumb reason, as my kids were getting re- uh, ready for basketball, I decided, instead of having a snack, I decided to watch uh, Beat Bobby Flay. It's, it's one of my favorite food shows, all right? I just like to watch what he does. And of course, on this day, they're making burgers, and I love a good burger. And they're making these burgers, and if you ever watch that show or any cooking show, they, they're the best burgers ever. They look beautiful. I mean, you can almost taste them through the screen. That's how good they look. And I'm watching this. I'm like, man, I'm so hungry, and I'm not going to get to eat yet, and oh, no. And so I'm just watching that show. We head off to the games. I... Um, I, I, uh, I told Megan, I was like, hey, after the games, we're going to go over to the sports page, and we're going to go ahead and eat, and I'm going to get a burger, okay? So just, I'm, I'm, I'm already excited about this burger that I'm going to get, all right? And um, <clears throat> so we go to the games. I actually had to coach a game to, uh, for one of my daughters, and so we get through all these, and now it's like 8.45 at night. So remember, it's been about 12 hours since the last time I ate. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not hangry. I'm just getting really hungry at this point, okay? And we, we get to the sports page, and I order a burger. I order a glass of water, too. And for some reason, I don't know, it's like the biggest water I've ever seen in my life that they bring me. They bring me this big, giant water. It's sitting there, and uh, I'm there, and Molly is right across the table from me, um, and Maddie's there, and um, Amira's there. So if you want to uh, see how true this story is, you can talk to Amira after uh, this. But we're sitting there. I order the burger, and we had to wait just a little bit. It wasn't a long time, but it was long enough because I'm starving at this point. And we're sitting there, and the burger finally comes out. And this is a burger, and this is a time where I'm not sharing. Don't touch my fries. Don't touch my burger. Don't touch anything. This is mine, all right? I've been waiting for it, and I'm ready to eat. And I get this burger all built up like I like it with all of the everything on it. I, I like everything on my burger, okay? I get it. I put the bun on top, and right when I put the bun on top, Molly's like, Dad, I need a fork. I'm like, okay, just hang on. I'll get you a fork. Just hang on, you know? And again, here's this big, giant glass of water that I just had refilled and I'm like, just hang on. I'll, I'll get you a fork. And of course, she doesn't wait. So she's like, oh, I'll get it. And she hits my water. And the water goes like all over me. It's cold outside too. Remember, it's cold outside. The water goes all down the front of me, all down my pants. I had sweatpants on, so that just absorbed it. That's great. You know, uh, <laughs> water all down the front of me, all down my pants. It actually went into my shoes, got my socks wet. I could sit there and like, uh, tap my feet on the ground, and I'm in a puddle of water. But listen, that's not the worst part. The worst part is that water went all over my burger. I didn't even get a bite of it. <laughs> didn't even get to taste that thing, and it is ruined. It's just ruined. So I lose it. <laughs> I just lose it. I lose it on Molly. Molly, are you kidding me? I, you couldn't wait you couldn't wait one second for me to get you that fork? I just lose it on her. And then she cries. So now not only is my burger ruined, her whole night is ruined. It's done. She is done. She cried, I think, through that, almost that whole meal. Megan shows up, and she's still crying about it. But my attitude, and I, I know, guys, I could have reacted differently. And, and I, I understand that. I look back now and said, okay, I, it was a bur- I got a new burger. 
I just had to wait a little longer. It's okay. You know, I just needed to take a deep breath and, and change my attitude. I could have handled it differently, and it would have changed my night. It would have changed her night. I don't know if Amira had a bad night. I, I don't know. Megan, I, maybe. It could have changed a lot of different people's nights, all right? I know my attitude was not right in that moment, all right? Let's jump ahead a week, okay? Let's jump ahead a week. Wednesday morning with Maddie, all right? Um, now, every morning, I take the kids to school, and we, we jump in the car, and, and we go to school every single morning. And every morning, I like to have a, a, a mug of water, or a mug of water, mug of coffee, a cup of coffee. Now, mind you, Megan always is like, get a to-go cup, put a lid on it. Megan's like, you should just get one of those, like, I don't know, cups that you can screw a lid on, you can reuse it. And I'm like, no, I don't like that. I like to have a mug of coffee. I like to actually open it, you know, just, and I fill it up before we leave every morning. I don't know why I like it. It just tastes better out of a mug, okay? I just, just who I am, guys, just whatever, all right? I just like it better. I don't know. Maybe it's the challenge of driving with a cup of coffee. I, I don't spill it, all right? I don't, I don't know when the last time I spilled my own cup of coffee was, but anyway, that's beside the point. But every morning I get that cup of coffee. I fill that cup of coffee. I go to the car, I set it on the center console, and every morning I'm saying, Maddie, don't spill my coffee. Don't spill it. And then we'll buckle up. She's, she's done great. Now, Maddie's a pretty, uh, pretty responsible young lady. So this particular morning, Wednesday morning, I'm like, I'm not going to tell her that. I'm not going to tell her to don't spill my coffee. She knows. She knows not to spill it. So I jump in the car. I walk carefully in the car because I got a cup of coffee. Uh, I put it on the center console, and Maddie, right when I put it on there, Maddie decides to uh, put her seatbelt on like this, all right? I don't know where that comes from, but she, whoosh, and there's that hot cup of coffee all down the side of me, all in the, 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 on the chair, all in the cup holder. It's all over the place. So here again, I, I have this decision. What kind of attitude am I going to have? I yell, Maddie, my coffee, mainly because it's hot and it's on my legs, not out of anger, but it's on my legs. And I'm like, ah, you know, and then I jump out of the car, take a deep breath. It's okay, because I know my attitude in that moment is going to make or break her day. It'll make or break my day, maybe even Molly's. I don't know. She's kind of oblivious. But anyway, um, I <laughs> take a deep breath. It's all right. Run inside get some paper towels, clean it up. It's okay. I refused to change my pants that day, though. It's just pride, I guess. I don't know. I'm like, I'm not changing. I'm going to wear these until it dries. It did. Don't worry. Uh, and I smell like coffee all day. It's great cologne. But I didn't lose my temper. I just cleaned it up, and we went about our day. I say all of this because our attitudes and how we respond to people and situations and our kids matter. It matters. Our attitudes can either reflect and point people to Jesus, or they can point people away from Jesus. Attitude is everything. And this morning, I want to talk about the attitude of desperation, all right? But before we get into that, uh, this has been a great series, right? I love the title, Dudes with Tudes. It's been great, you know, but this morning, I would like to change the title, Okay? I want to change the title of Dudes with Dudes. It's been great. I love it. Good job, Pastor Barry, naming this. Um, 
But this morning, I realized we were missing something from this series. And the thing that we've been missing is the ladies. Come on, ladies. Where you at, ladies? Ladies have attitudes. Some are good. Some are sassy. Some are bad. I'm not the one to point fingers. But ladies have attitudes as well. So let's rename this to, it doesn't have quite a nice ring, but dudettes. Dudettes, thank you, with tudes. All right? It's not quite dudettes or a dudette in this one, all right? So, ladies, you're welcome, all right? We've talked about a lot of dudes and a lot of different attitudes, but this morning I would like to talk about a dudette who had a tude of desperation. Now, I understand many of you have probably uh, heard this story from the Bible before, but today I would like to talk about the woman with the issue of blood, all right? John, that's the one. He's, I've been getting texts all day. What woman are you going to talk about? Is it this one? Is it this one? No, it's the woman with the issue of blood. And I want to draw out three points out of her story and her attitude of desperation that she had. Her story can be found in three out of the four Gospels. But today I would like to read from Luke's uh, um, perspective. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 8, and we will read this. It's Luke chapter 8, and we're actually going to start at the very last sentence of verse 42. Okay, so as you guys are turning there, you can look in your phones or your Bibles, whatever you got today. Uh, verse, Luke 8, verse 42, the last sentence, it says, As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and uh, pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. All right? Now, here's what's happening, all right? Jesus is on his way to Jairus' house because he had a daughter who was dying. And while Jesus was on his way, a great crowd came in and pushed and pressed all around Jesus. In fact, in verse 42, it says, as Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. So there was a lot of people there, a lot of people around him, large crowds all around Jesus as he was walking along. There was this one lady and, uh, that was there, and this lady had a big issue. She had been bleeding for 12 years, 12 years. She, she has done everything in the material that she could think of to try and get the bleeding under control. She had gone to doctors multiple times. And in fact, in, in uh, the gospel of Mark, it said she had spent all that she had trying to find out what was wrong with her. Even after seeing a ton of doctors and, and spending all her money, she actually wasn't getting better, but she was getting worse. She then hears of a man who, does, who has done miracles, and this man is coming where she's at. She thinks, if I can just get to Jesus, all I have to do is touch, just touch him a little bit, just touch a little bit of his clothes. If I can do that, I know I will be healed. That's exactly what she does. Even though there was a crushing crowd, even though Jesus was on his way to help somebody else, Jesus was busy going to Jairus to, to help his daughter, even though all that, even though by society, all of society, society's rules, she wasn't supposed to even be there. She shouldn't have been there. But even with all of that, 
she goes and, and she, she crawls and she tries to touch Jesus. She crawled through the crowd and touched the hem of his clothes. Right when she touched him, she was healed. Her bleeding uh, that had been persistent for 12 years stopped and she was better. After she touched him, something even more amazing happens. Jesus, with everybody crowding around him, pushing up against him, touching him, he stops and he says, who touched me? With all of those people touching him, Jesus says, wait a second, somebody touched me. And of course, his disciples are like, uh, hello, Jesus, what are you talking about? Everybody is touching you. Come on, everybody around here is touching you. What are you talking about? Jesus is like, no, 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 not, not these people. Somebody touched me. I know that because the power had gone out from me. And the woman comes up and explains uh, what she was going through and all, all that has happened and, and how she was healed right then and there. Then Jesus calls her something and gives her instructions. In verse 48, he says, daughter, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Out of this woman's desperation for Jesus, it changed her life forever. So my question for you this morning is, how desperate are you for Jesus? Write that down. Ask yourself that. How desperate are you for Jesus? Because it's out of our desperation for Jesus that we'll be able to see miracles in our life. When this lady got desperate enough to get where Jesus was at and fight to touch him, that's when her miracle came. It's, it's time we get desperate to get in the presence of Jesus all the time, any time that we can. Because it's out of that desperation that Jesus moves and we'll see great things happen in our lives. One thing that desperation does, uh, desperation for Jesus does, is it destroys labels. <clears throat> and that's my first point tonight, is, or today. Desperation for Jesus destroys labels. This woman with the issue of blood had tons of labels put on her. The biggest label she carried around with her for 12 years was being unclean. And if you look in the book of Leviticus, you will see what comes along with the label of being unclean. There's a lot of stuff. She was an outcast. She was, that's why she wasn't even supposed to be in the middle of that crowd, because she was an outcast. And people, she had this, this disease, this thing for 12, this issue for 12 years. So people knew who she was. People knew that she was unclean. And listen, if you look in the book of Leviticus, if anybody was to touch her or if she was to touch anybody else, they would be unclean. If they sat where she sat, they would be unclean. If they were any of that stuff, and they would have to go through a whole process to be unclean. They would have to wash their clothes. They would have to take a time away from other people. I mean, there's just a whole bunch of stuff that would have to go along with if you were in contact with this lady. She was unclean. She had that label. And because, again, for 12 years, she carried this around. People knew that. People knew her. Also because of this label, she couldn't get married. She couldn't be in leadership. She really shouldn't have been in the midst of the crowd. I mean, talk about labels. Talk about this that she carried around. She had the worst label out there, which was unclean. It made her to become an outcast. But this woman was desperate for Jesus. She was desperate for Jesus. She knew that with just one touch from Jesus, that label of being unclean could be washed away. She was willing to look past those labels and, uh, that others had put on her and focus her eyes on Jesus, all for one touch from him. Again, I ask, how desperate for Jesus are you? Are you desperate enough to push past the crowd, to push past what the world has labeled you in order to find the one who can destroy those labels? 
2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 18 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new cre- creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. When we get desperate for Jesus, that we decide to lay down the labels of, of, of being the depressed person. We decide to lay down the labels of alcoholic. We decide to lay down the labels of, of having anxiety. And we lay them down at the feet of Jesus and just get close to him. Just get desperate for him. Then those labels or whatever labels you have put on yourself or others have put on you that you've been carrying around with you, they're gone. And the new is here. Because Jesus takes them. You are a new person, a clean person, a person that is reconciled, and you have a new label, a new label. You are a child of God. But Jesus did everything he needed to do when he died on the cross, and now it's up to us to do our part. And our part is to get desperate for him. Our part is to push past the crowd and to touch the hem of his garment. And when we do that, we become a new creation. I'm so thankful that one touch from Jesus cleanses us and changes our labels. And as I look around this room, I'm already seeing so many, uh, so many who have gotten desperate for Jesus and dropped their old labels and are made new in Christ. But this is not a one-time thing we need to, st- uh, this is not a one-time thing. We need to stay desperate and keep letting Jesus change us from the inside out. Amen. Keep going. Keep pressing. Keep pushing past the crowd. Keep laying those labels down at his feet. It's not a one-time thing. It's for the rest of your life. 1 Samuel 16, 7 says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. We need to remember that just because the world might look at your appearance and label you something, God looks at your heart and he changes us. I feel like that, that, that line right there was, was what, something that the Lord really put on my heart is that, you know, our, our appearance and how people look at us, they might label us, but God says, you know what? I don't care. You're my child. I'm going to look at your heart, and I'm changing you. And it might not be an instant change. It might not be like, oh, well, I prayed. I should be changed. It might be a constant thing. Don't give up. Keep going. The Lord is changing you. He's changing you from the inside out. So don't let the labels of this world that the world might put on you stop you from for being desperate for Jesus. Keep being desperate for him, even when you don't want to. Even when you're in a crowd of people that have labeled you something else, be desperate for him. Keep going. Don't stop. Because he's looking at your heart. He is changing your label. Even as right now, as we're talking, he is changing your label. He is labeling you his child. He's labeling you beautiful. He's labeling you healed. He's labeling you blessed. I would rather have those labels. <laughs> and if, I, if that means I have to get desperate for Jesus, so be it. I want those labels. I don't want the labels that the world is trying to put on me. Our job is to get desperate for just one touch from Jesus, just like the woman with the issue of blood. We can see that when she finally got desperate enough to go after Jesus and crawled through the crowd and touched him, her label was changed. Jesus changed her label from unclean to in verse 48, he called her daughter. He called her daughter. Her label from there on out was changed and changed by the one who matters. Don't wait 12 years. 
Don't wait until you hit rock bottom. Don't wait until you think you're ready. Go after Jesus now. Get desperate for his presence now and watch how he changes you from the inside out and how he will destroy any labels the world might put on you. Desperation for Jesus destroys labels. You are no longer unclean, but you are his son. You are his daughter. And those labels are so much better than any label you might be carrying around with you from the world. Another thing that desperation for Jesus does is it creates a new posture. Desperation for Jesus creates a new posture. In this passage, we see that this woman, she, she carries two postures with her through this passage. All right, In Luke 8, 43, it says, And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. Mark 5, 26 says, She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet, instead of getting better, she grew worse. In those two passages, we see what kind of posture she started out with. It was this posture of, uh, of I think we care, uh, that, that I think we actually uh, carry around most of the time. It was this posture of self-reliance. A posture of, I don't need help. I can handle this on my own. Uh, and I really want you guys, as, as I'm talking about this one, think about yourself. <laughs> think about uh, when, when, when you go through things, when you have issues, when you have uh, problems that you're dealing with. How do you handle it? Because I feel like this is the way that we go to. This is our go-to, is I got this. I can handle this. I can fix this. I'm the man, or I am the woman. I got this. This is the, the attitude she carried around. This was her posture that she carried around for 12 years. I think we carry this posture with us most of the time. I know that I do. Um, I'll probably cry during this time, so... <laughs> Megan starts praying for me. Right? Oh, geez, Lord, help him. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, one, uh, for instance, one of my daughters struggles with anxiety. Like, it gets her pretty hard. Hang out, get there. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get there. Uh, it, it gets hard, especially at night. Uh, before tests at school, it really bothers her. And then every now and then, it just hits her at random times. I don't really, do, I don't really deal with anxiety, so it's hard for me to understand sometimes what she's going to, going through. But it hits her. It's not fake. It's not like, I don't know, it's real. And as a dad, it hurts me to see her go through that. And so I tend to jump on this, this posture. I can fix this. I'm her dad. She's not going to go through this. What do I need to do? How can I help? I'm, I don't have answers. <laughs> but what can I do to, to not see her hurt like this? <laughs> to not go through this? 
I'm, I'm the man of the house. I'm the dad. And my first turn is always like, what can I do? How can I handle this? You know, what do I need to do to help her with this anxiety? What can I do? And I get into this, how can I? What can I? It's me acting just like this woman. Just like this woman looking and searching for what I can do. And not just changing my posture and, and, and getting for Jesus, but what can I do? The first posture that, that, that we take should never, never be this, I got this. I'm, I'm strong enough to handle this on my own. That shouldn't be our posture as parents, as people, as, you know, whatever you're going through. That should never, ever be our very first posture. Even though this feels like the most natural kind of posture that we should take, of us standing there and saying, you know what, I got this. Our first posture should never be this. Look at me, I can handle this. But our first posture should always be this. For me, this is hard. This posture is hard. Why? He is the only one. He's the only one that can help with anything. Our first posture should be, I need you. Our first posture should be, Jesus, I love you. Our first posture should be, I'm useless without you, Jesus. I need you here. I think I'm done crying. (laughs) I think I'm done. But that needs to be our first posture. I wonder what would happen if that woman took that posture first instead of waiting 12 years. It's hard to see my notes. I'm sorry. (laughs) After 12 years of suffering, this woman finally figured that out, and she changed her posture. Don't wait 12 years. Don't wait 12 minutes. Use that posture first with anything, every issue, everything that you're going through. She went from running to everybody else to finally in Luke 8:44, she came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak and immediately immediately her bleeding stopped. She got desperate for the touch from Jesus. She got desperate enough to humble humble herself and get to Jesus no matter what. It's time we get enough, uh, it's time we get desperate enough to be with Jesus that that we are willing to change our posture. We're willing to stop trying to do everything on our own and we get willing to humble ourselves and run to the feet of Jesus. James 4.10 says, humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. Second Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. When we are, when we are faced with difficult situations, when you're dealing with anxiety, depression, financial issues, medical issues, when you are dealing with something out of, out of your control, what is your first move? What posture do you take first? Are you taking the posture of standing up and trying to fix things all by yourself, all on your own? 
or do you take the posture of Jesus, I need you? Because desperation for Jesus will always take you to your knees. Desperation for Jesus will, will put pride aside and cause you to run to the cross. Don't wait 12 years. Don't wait until you have nowhere else to turn before you get desperate for him. Run to him with desperation. Humble yourself and get before him. He is always there for his child, for his children. Make this posture your go-to move when faced with anything big or small. Desperation for Jesus creates new posture. My third point tonight is desperation for Jesus draws you close to him. I mentioned earlier how Jesus called this woman daughter after she was healed. Luke 8, 48 says, then he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Something interesting I learned as I was studying this out is that this is the only time in the New Testament where Jesus called somebody daughter. We all know that Jesus doesn't do things on accident. I believe there was a point and a purpose to why Jesus chose to call this lady at this time daughter. We see that because of her desperation, she was willing to humble herself, stretch her faith, and fight through the crowd to touch Jesus. Jesus knew this. Jesus knew the, struggle, the struggles that this lady had gone through, and he knew and felt her desperation. Jesus also knew that this lady didn't have anybody advocating for her. She didn't have anybody fighting for her, didn't have anybody fighting with her. She didn't have anybody on her side. This, this lady was at a very lonely place in her life at this time. Jesus calling her daughter showed her that <clears throat> she was not alone, that she has a father who loves her, and because of her faith, healed her. She was closer to Jesus at that moment than anybody else uh, that was there pushing around and crowding around Jesus. We find promises in God's word that if we do our part and seek him, then God will always do his part. God will always meet with us just, just like he did with this woman. Uh, we just have to do our part. James 4, 8 says, come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Jeremiah 29, 12 through 13 says, then you will call on me and come to pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. If we want Jesus to be close to us, then we need to go ahead and do our part. Jesus made the first move when he died on the cross. He showed us how much he loves us by giving his life for each and every one of us. Now it's our turn to make the next move. Psalms 145.18 says, The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. We call, he answers. We call on him, and he is near to us. James 4, 8, that I just read, uh, we come near to God, and he will come near to us. You want to be close to Jesus, then I would say, make the move. Get desperate. If I was to retitle this, I would have retitled it either uh, do your part or make the move. It's our turn. Jesus did everything when he died on the cross. It's our turn. Get desperate. Make the move. Go to him. You could see through this story of the woman with the issue of blood that she needed to make the move before Jesus called her daughter. This lady was in the crowd. This lady had an issue. She was hurting. But it wasn't until she got desperate and made the move to get close to Jesus that Jesus healed her and Jesus was like, daughter. She had to move. I wonder, I mean, no, there's speculation in there. I'm not going to speculate. It was, she made the move. Jesus answered. 
He is looking for people who are desperate for him and who are willing to make the move. If I get the worship team, come on back up. That would be awesome. Thank you. It's time we get desperate for Jesus. So I want to ask you again, how desperate are you for Jesus? Are you desperate enough to drop every label that the world has put on you? Are you desperate enough to humble yourself and fight through the crowd to get to Jesus? Are you desperate enough to put in the work to draw close to him? Because if you are that desperate, you will find Jesus who never leaves you, who never forsakes you. you. You have a Jesus who will look at you and say, that is my son, that is my daughter. We have a Jesus who wants to heal you. He wants to heal, he wants to heal every mental illness. He wants to heal every physical illness. He wants to heal uh, finances. He wants to bless his people. We have a Jesus who wants to do all of that. It's our turn. It's our turn to do our part. It's our turn to make the next move. He made the first move. It's our turn to do the next move. Are you that desperate for Jesus and for his presence? I don't know about you, but I don't want to wait 12 years and run to Jesus as my last resort. I want to run to him as my first resort. I don't want this. Look at me. I got this to be my first move anymore. I want this to be my first move. I want that first move to be at the feet of Jesus. And then I want to go again. And then I want to go again. And then I want to go again. I don't ever want to stop being desperate for Jesus. I want to be more desperate for Jesus than I am for a stupid burger. (laughs) I want to be desperate for Jesus. Let him be uh, your food and your drink. You can go ahead and start playing, Daniel. Let Jesus be that. We need to be desperate for him. Run to him first. And when you get desperate for Jesus, the labels that the world has put on you, they'll start to fall off. And he'll give you a new label. That desperation for Jesus will cause you to change your posture. That desperation for Jesus will cause you to get closer to Jesus than you ever have been before. I know some of us in here have held on to situations. We've held on to to hurt from other people. We've held on to issues for a long time. This morning, I want it to be a, a morning that changes your life forever. And the reason that you're changed forever is because this morning you have decided to get desperate for Jesus. This morning you have decided to uh, uh, stop listening to all the outside noise, stop listening to the crowd and just get desperate for Jesus. We're gonna sing that breathe, right? We're gonna sing breathe again, the uh, desperate for you song. And you know, if you're in here today and any of this spoke to you, I mean, it spoke to me, <laughs> but if, and it showed me that I, I have not been desperate enough for Jesus. Or, or maybe it showed you that you were desperate at one time, but, but you kind of let that go aside. And it's time that we change and we get desperate for Jesus. It's time that we make the move. So whatever you might be going through, Get desperate for him tonight. If you're, if you're online and you're watching online, you know, 
right where you're at, in your living room, in your bedroom, wherever you're at, get desperate for him right now. Change your posture. Throw off every label. And when we draw close to Jesus, he draws close to us. So this morning, I want to draw close to him. I want to get desperate. So as we sing this song, if that's you in here and you know that you haven't been desperate enough and you want to get desperate, maybe there's something in your life that you just, you have to change your posture for. Let tonight be, let, let this morning be that morning it changes. So let's all stand up. And as, as, as we sing this song, I want us just to get desperate for him. And I think desperation always brings you to the altar. Desperation for him always brings you to his feet. So if that's you today, as we sing, just come forward and, and, and cry out to him. Give him every issue. Give him every situation. Give him all the labels and let him change you today. Thanks for being a part of the Indianola First podcast. Join us next week to stay updated on our latest messages.